Hello and welcome to the South Asia Chat. This is a podcast series which is hosted by the Institute of South Asian Studies in the National University of Singapore. I'm your host today. My name is uh, Amitendu Palit. I am a senior research fellow at the Institute of South Asian Studies and I'm delighted to share with you that we have with us RV Anuradha of the Clarus Law Associates one of the most distinguished experts on trade policy in india anuradha a very hearty welcome to the show many thanks anupendu glad to be here anuradha today's conversation that we are going to engage in is uh, with respect to the foreign trade policy the medium term foreign trade policy that we are expecting to hear about uh very shortly from the government of india and this is a policy which is uh, expected to cover the period 2021 to 2026 or roughly thereabouts 2021 is already gone but this is going to succeed the earlier medium term foreign policy that existed for a period of 5 years that was the first medium term foreign policy that was announced by the modi government once it uh, came to office now uh in so far as this particular foreign trade policy is concerned this is coming in the backdrop of the covid-19 pandemic and there are many changes that the covid-19 has brought in in the way we live in the way businesses work in the way economics and trade are fashioned and there is an expectation that the foreign trade policy will also have to align itself in this respect what is your understanding in this regard hi samitendu um just to actually set the legal framework um first in terms of what is the fcp the foreign trade policy all about it's it's actually interesting in terms of nomenclature although it is called a policy and once um, you know the, the the impression that the term policy gives is that of an overarching vision uh, overarching framework uh, but the ftp or the foreign trade policy is actually distinct from all other policies for example the national climate change action plan or the national digital communications policy these are policy documents that are announced by the government that provide a roadmap a vision for how that particular sector is expected to develop the ftp on the other hand is actually in exercise of a legal mandate india has um, one of the central legislations governing our trade is the foreign trade development and regulation act the ftdra and a section of the ftdra mandates the government to announce the foreign trade policy and as a matter of practice as you mentioned the government has been doing it for five year terms the last uh, ftp was the one that was announced in 2015 uh, it it was supposed to be on till 2020 but it got extended uh, it is uh, till through two extensions it's actually valid till september 2022 end of september 2022 uh, by which time we expect the new foreign trade policy to come into play interestingly uh, if there are rumors that this foreign trade policy which is uh, expected to be announced at the end of september is likely to be only for a three year period that is till 2024 uh, 
because there will be general elections then in 2024. And the expectation is that, uh, you know, the, the, the new government uh, would either extend this policy or announce another policy to replace it at that point in time. Now, coming to what the SEC typically deals with, uh, again, because I mentioned it's a, it's a policy which implements a law. Therefore, it has, it does two things. It does both the policy vision for foreign trade, but also a whole bunch of nitty gritties. For example, what sort of incentives can be claimed, what form has to be filled, what licenses would apply, what authorization would need to be done, how the, what is the role of the, um, you know, the director, the director general for foreign trade in terms of facilitation of trade. What are the list of uh, prohibited items? What are the list of you know, national security related concerns because of which uh, trade with certain countries will need to be regulated, so on and so forth. You may also have heard about the uh, a recent dispute um, in which five of the schemes, um, a WTO dispute, in which five of the schemes and incentives that were challenged by the United States which were components of the erstwhile uh, of the 2015 to 2021 foreign trade policy. Uh, these had been challenged by the US, and India actually lost at the panel stage. Now, these pertain to five key schemes, uh, export-oriented schemes in the FCP. These were the EOU scheme, the export-oriented unit scheme. Uh, there's another one called the uh, the, the uh, biotechnology park scheme, etc. The Export Promotion Capital Goods Scheme, EPCG, the SEZ, the Special Economic Zone Scheme, a bunch of incentives uh, that were being given under, under that scheme, uh, the Duty Free Import for Exporters Scheme, DFIS, and the Merchandise Exports from India Scheme. These are actually struck down as being WTO incompatible because these were schemes that were being made subject to or contingent upon export performance. Uh, the SEZ, as you would know, is something which is uh, in, uh, awarded to net foreign exchange earning units. So this is something which is directly linked to an export performance. Um, and this is something which WTO typically considers abhorrent and we lost the dispute. But uh, India believes that the reasoning of the panel was not uh, accurate and we have appealed it. But again, because of the state of uh, dispute settlement at the WTO, we have pretty much just appealed into the void, and this is something which is uh, which gives us the benefit of continuing with some of these schemes uh, till the time that, uh, from a legal uh, point of view, the WTO appellate body is reconstituted. But at the same time, uh, there has been a growing realization that a number of these schemes anyway have to be replaced. So one of the major changes that have already happened uh, in the run-up to the new foreign trade policy is that one of the schemes that I mentioned, that is the MEIS, that's the Merchandise uh, Export from India scheme, that has already been replaced by another scheme, uh, which is the Road Tech. Uh, it's, a, it's an acronym which essentially stands for Remission and Duties on Taxes on Exported Goods. Very simply put, while the MEIS was devised as a direct export subsidy, the Road Tech is something which will compensate exporters for non-creditable duty and tax costs, such as electricity tax, stamp duty, tax on fuel, etc., that are embedded in the export uh, item. And uh, amendment was made to the foreign trade policy last year uh, to, to make it effective. And the road has been in existence for over a year now. But uh, 
there has been you know, a, a several concerns among exporters in terms of uh, the fact that it's not completely easy to satisfy the data requirements to claim compensation. Uh, more importantly, there are three critical sectors which are excluded from roadstep, which has uh, which is basically chemicals, pharmaceuticals, and steel. In fact, there was a parliamentary committee report recently which uh, recommended that these sectors should also be included as part of roadstep. Also, on the reasoning that many of the MSME exporters from India, the uh, micro, small, and medium enterprise exporters from India were the ones that were getting unduly impacted because of this. But by the nature of the scheme itself, it completely depends on budgetary outlay. And the Commerce Ministry's concern has been that there is not sufficient budgetary outlay to make the extension to cover all sectors. So, yes, in terms of what is going to happen, we need to wait and watch on whether uh, these schemes, uh, whether these sectors will also be. Uh, able to avail of the, uh, of this particular scheme. You mentioned the COVID pandemic, and one of the key areas in the COVID pandemic uh, has, I mean, one of the key performance areas has been the fact that our service sector ha has done extremely well. I mean, our, in fact, our service sector in the past few years was already overtaking, um, you know, uh, merchandise exports, and it continued to do so. In fact, there is going to be uh, expected uh, 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 almost a $350 billion uh, export target that uh, is expected to achieve sectors such as education, health, hospitality, tourism. They're all sectors that have deeply impacted during the pandemic, but at the same time made significant contributions in dealing with various aspects of the pandemic. But in terms of incentivization of this particular sector, uh, it is again not very uh, currently uh, a number of service sectors are, uh, are covered under what is called the service exports from India scheme, the SPIS scheme. It is not entirely clear whether this scheme will be continued because there have been some reports that it may not, but there has been no replacement. Unlike MEIS for which there was a replacement in the upstart of the roadstep scheme, as far as SEIS is concerned, there has been no formal announcement of how it is going to be replaced. So in all probability, it may get extended for a period of time as you know things uh, things get recalibrated also. Uh, one of the, just in terms of one of the um, uh, in other points on which, uh, uh, as far as the COVID pandemic is concerned, where there is going to be a, a, one of the policy announcements that has already been made, uh, is that there will be greater facilitation for MSMEs, micro, small, and medium enterprises. Um, and, you know, in terms of how to have a fund that can actually contribute their, to their capacity. Right. Uh, Anuradha, thank you. That's a very uh, detailed and very informative discussion on uh, what are the uh, possible areas of emphasis and what are the uh, prospects that one can look forward to the uh, foreign trade policy. Indeed, uh, it is coming at a time uh, when India has, over the last one and a half years, stepped up its engagement uh, in uh, working on free trade agreements uh, with a large number of partners. And uh, we have already seen the conclusion, uh, or at least uh, the, the interim conclusions of uh, two particular free trade agreements uh, with Australia and with the United Arab Emirates. Uh, we are also expecting to see uh, completed free trade agreements out of the consultations that are going on with the European Union, Canada, and the United Kingdom. Now, this uh, 
reflects a fairly charged up and active period of India's engagement with its external trade partners. But one of the understandings that uh, inevitably comes with these uh, uh, negotiations is that uh, the world of trade has become uh, much more complex than what it was over the last 10 to 15 years. And these uh, complexities have largely arisen out of a very new group of regulations which have become important for trade policy and also because of the fact that increasingly a lot of domestic regulations are beginning to be brought into the fold of external trade negotiations. So let's say, for example, when one looks at investment disputes between countries, they have now become important parts of free trade agreements. Uh, so for e-commerce deliberations, so for government procurement, for example. So uh, you think the Indian foreign trade policy is in a position to actually reflect on these issues substantively or will it actually try to do so? Hi, Samitendu, and yeah, and also for contextualizing it in in the um, in in terms of what the uh, the FTA engagement that India is currently engaged in. Um, then again, because of the limitation of the FTP of the foreign trade policy, because it's it's a creature of statute, it may not be in a position to address or provide a vision for each of the new areas that you're talking about, uh, because they technically fall under the remit of other departments. But to give an example um, uh, in, among, among the issues that you mentioned, you mentioned e-commerce. And as you would know, this has been a very, very sensitive area for India. And India has been struggling to have a national e-commerce policy. Uh, that particular effort seems to have been abandoned. But at the same time, um, it was uh, till recently deliberating on a data protection law. Uh, this law is intrinsically linked to digital trade uh, because you know, the flow of data and information uh, needs to have a clear framework on what would be the methodology for protection. We have under the Constitution the right to privacy and there are Supreme Court rulings which uphold that principle. But in terms of the nitty-gritties of uh, corporate obligations, uh, storage of data, you, uh, there is a RBI circular, for example, that mandates that all kinds of uh, personal data for financial service transactions will necessarily need to be stored in India. Uh, this is something which initially created a lot of concern for credit card companies, but then uh, after a few clarifications from the RBI in terms of how it would be operationalized, basically that the data can uh, be taken out for, uh, for a period of 24 hours and then brought into India for, for uh, storage. In other words, it can be processed uh, outside if required, but then it will need to come into India for being stored is um, an aspect that governs the limited uh, sphere of financial services data. But as far as data on, in all its other various forms are concerned, uh, there is no clear legislative framework. And this is going to be a matter of concern on the extent to which India can take obligations on, say, e-commerce in our free trade agreement in the absence of uh, domestic legislative clarity. So this is an area which necessarily needs to be worked on, but it's beyond the remit of FTP. I don't, uh, I can't even see it making um, any kind of a statement relating to that other than peripheral. The other issue you raised was government procurement, and this has been an area where. Um, interestingly, for the first time, uh, we, India actually made a commitment 
for uh, GP in the India UAE FTA that was uh, concluded in March this year. Um, again, this is a it, it, it's a limited nature of commitments uh, confined to central government procurement only. Uh, but again, the extent to which we replicate it for our future FTAs uh, will remain to be seen. Again, beyond the purview of the FTP, unlikely to be addressed. You mentioned investment and investment. Um, interestingly, uh, India. India's journey on investment treaties was bilateral investment treaties for a period of time uh, from the early 90s to the mid 2000s. But our FTAs, our comprehensive FTAs with Singapore, with Japan, Malaysia, uh, already cover an investment chapter under the rubric of a comprehensive economic partnership agreement. The one with UAE, however, is a standalone, uh, there is a trade agreement. Uh, which is standalone and a standalone investment agreement. It is likely that with the new FTAs that we are negotiating with UK, EU, Canada that you mentioned, uh, this again bifurcated strategy is what is likely to be taken up. Uh, so in a sense, it is not something which is new for India because India has actually entered into bilateral investment treaties um, before. The biggest uh, difference in the interim was because in 2015 to 2017, um, India actually terminated a number of its uh, bilateral investment agreements. Um, I must emphasize, however, that the investment chapters in our FTAs with uh, Japan, Singapore, um, uh, Korea, and Malaysia continue to sustain, continue to subsist. Uh, so if we were to enter into new investment treaties, uh, one of the concerns that India has, had faced was with regard to a deluge of uh, investors to state disputes, private investors taking the government of India to uh, foreign uh, tribunals for arbitration. One of the uh, biggest policy decisions that, that came under scrutiny under this, uh, as you know, was, was a famous retrospective tax issue, uh, which finally got settled with the government withdrawing the proposal for retrospective taxation. Uh, Vodafone um, uh, was one of the key entities that had been impacted by that. Among the pending disputes, they pertain to the 2G related issue, the 2G related controversy in terms of allocation of licenses, uh, telecom licenses. And there are several disputes that are currently pending um, under 2G. Uh, because of these, in terms of um, India, has been a little cautious in terms of the extent to which we can take commitments or subject the government to um, invested to state dispute settlement. Uh, but I would imagine that you know, going forward, uh, there will have to be a careful but calibrated approach. We can't completely say no to this issue. It will be part of uh, the FTA, but whether within the FTA or the sort of parallel standalone agreement, that will be uh, remain to be seen. Again, as far as the FTP is concerned, I don't expect any major announcements um, or policy direction as far as this issue is concerned. FTP doesn't deal with investment. That's the remit of a, another policy, the foreign direct investment policy, the FDI policy, which is under another legislation, the Foreign Exchange Management Act. Uh, so that, that comes really more under the remit of the Ministry of Finance. Uh, so in fact, we have a new FDI policy as of 2020. Uh, but I don't expect the foreign trade policy uh, addressing many of these issues. Thank you, Anuradha, again. And uh, I, I really think that uh, from what you share, uh, there is this uh, 
this challenge, the policy challenge, becoming very clear. There are a number of issues that need to be resolved through the space of effective domestic regulations will in some way or other impinge upon the trade policy, but then the trade policy is as much work in progress as much are probably regulations in other sectors. So right now it's obviously uh, very difficult to reflect upon what might be the connections that could be established in this regard and for an economy like India, uh, which continues to face new kinds of regulatory challenges at every step of its progress and modernization. Uh, this becomes even more imminent. It's been a fascinating conversation, Anuradha, and I, I really hope that we could have continued it for long. But unfortunately, due to the shortage of time, there's only one more issue on which I can expect to engage with you today. And uh, that is uh, looking a little ahead in the future. And uh, you probably would be knowing this much better than me, given your uh, engagement with global trade issues. That Two of the uh, major uh, thematic areas that are really beginning to focus very prominently in international trade conversations are, number one, the question of uh, climate change and how far international trade is able to connect to the overall uh, requirement of national and global sustainable development. And the second is the uh, subject of gender and gender equity so far as trade is concerned and to what extent can women be made more empowered and more participative in the process of global trade. Now, I know, again, perhaps the foreign trade policy might not be the right, uh, right space uh, to actually uh, envision all these, but nonetheless, I cannot resist the temptation of checking with you that even if it's not within the space of the foreign trade policy, but generally speaking, from the perspective of India and external trade, how do you see these two emphasis areas shaping up? Let me start with the gender issue, Amitendu. In fact, in fact, I would imagine that, you know, um, because one of the key components that the FTP uh, addresses, uh, the foreign trade policy addresses, is how to facilitate trade. And as I just mentioned, uh, there is already a possibility that as far as MSMEs are concerned, there is going to be a dedicated fund to build capacity, ensure their compliance with export and import-related requirements, etc. Uh, so to that extent, it is certainly, uh, I would think, the gender-related issue in terms of facilitating women entrepreneurs engaged in export or import. It is certainly something which is amenable to an incentive scheme under the FTP, but I don't see it happening in, in, the, in the version that we see at the end of September. You're absolutely right in terms of the criticalness of, uh, of the gender-related issue and the, the fact that it needs to be addressed. But I would, you know, the way it needs to be designed, needs to, uh, India would need to formulate its own vision uh, before making a commitment in FTA. And so, uh, the reason I, I kind of, uh, uh, feel the need for caution is because uh, gender can't be linked to a market access issue. In fact, uh, you know, there have been studies by Ansad which have said that in fact sectors which are women dominated, like textiles, agriculture, etc., uh, are vulnerable in fact because of imports coming into the country. They actually may need more protection, you know, more kind of um, a framework where women are not adversely affected. Coming to the climate change issue, I think that is. Uh, far more sensitive uh, issue. It is being addressed head-on in environment and sustainability chapters in FTAs. Uh, 
And here I find a little bit of dichotomy in the government stand. For example, when it comes to a multilateral environment agreement, India plays a role as a rule maker. You know, we actually have an agenda, a proactive agenda, and we, uh, you know, push our point forward. We, I would say, we've got pretty balanced um, uh, agreements on climate change on most of our multilateral environment agreements, whether it's biodiversity convention, monetary protocol for the ozone layer protection, etc. These are all extremely well balanced because they calibrate in the rights and obligations, particularly between developed and developing countries. And they build in very, very important issues relating to capacity building, technology transfer, financial resources for meeting the obligations. All such issues are addressed as part of the uh, multilateral environment agreement. My concern is that I do not see this being adequately addressed in free trade agreements because free trade agreements is really a version of an environmental chapter which has been, um, which is, I would say, the earliest uh, version of it was the 1994 NAFTA and subsequently, which the US had formulated and subsequently uh, it's the developed countries that have been actually pushing this forward. And while it is critical, it is important, uh, I think that the question really is the extent to which India can stand up for its own vision of sustainability. It's critical for everybody. We see uh, the, the vagaries of climate change, the reality of it in front of our eyes. And it's happening in country after country. Nobody is excluded. But the extent to which a trade agreement can address this equitably without diluting the protections of an environmental agreement, which is already agreed in the international scenario, I think that is going to be India's challenge, and I really would want to see India's role as a rule maker rather than simply a rule taker in this area. That was uh, wonderful. That was uh, very enlightening, and that was fascinating, Anuradha. And uh, I would like to not only just express my sincere thanks for engaging with us here on this series today, but uh, I also wanted to uh, let you know that this is obviously not the uh, last of the conversations that we are going to have with you on this subject. Uh, we are looking forward to more insights from you and also from the shaping of the foreign trade policy of India. And we would expect to come back and re-engage with you once again as we have more insights with us. Thank you so much for sharing your views with us today. You are listening to the South Asia chat of the Institute of South Asian Studies in the National University of Singapore. Uh, to learn more about our work, please visit us at isas.nus.edu.sg. You can keep getting updates from our social media platforms. We are on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Thank you once again.